0: When I first heard of textiles, I didn't imagine that we'd use technical textiles to build an airplane, or that there were textiles out there that could
1: camouflage
0: someone from an infrared camera. The Uniformer,
1: insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors. The NAUMD. Hello, welcome to the Uniformer. <laughs> I'm Rick Levine uh, from the NAUMD, and I'm excited to have Louise Bicart uh, sitting here with us today. Uh, Louise is across the pond over in the UK, and uh, she is the project engineer and or business strategy analyst because my I I hear that there's a job title uh change at Pincroft Dying and Printing. And I'm really interested. First of all, welcome to the podcast, Louise.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Hi.
1: <laughs> You're actually um in the trenches. You're making decisions uh and helping companies uh spec uh and and really involved in the whole uh fabric process and and I'm probably butchering uh, that, but why don't you tell us what what does it mean to be a project engineer or a business strategy analyst at Pincroft? And then, and what does Pincroft actually do?
0: Right. Should I start with Pincroft then?
1: That's fine. Wherever <laughs> right. you're comfortable.
0: That's fine. So uh, Pincroft is 150 employee, a hundred and fifty employee. They are about a company that operates 24 hours um, in their site in Lancashire. We are part of the same group and based on the same site as Carrington Textiles that your listener will be more familiar with because Carrington Textile is the uh, commercial entity of the group, whereas Pinkcroft is the manufacturing arm. In uh, Pinkcroft, we produce... of our production goes into Carrington that then Carrington sells into um, their market. And a small portion of our production is commissioned um, dyeing, finishing, and printing for um, the workwear market. Um, We supply the rail and gas industry, medical, Mm -hmm. military, hospitality. um, As I say, covering workwear uniforms and equipment fabric among many other things
1: Uh, you know that's a big variety of industries and you know those um, those in this industry know that there can be dramatic differences between uh, what happens and we can dive into some of those you know nuances but Mm -hmm. um, so what specifically is your role what like what do you do throughout the year <laughs> right. What kinds of activities <laughs> are you involved in?
0: So, as you say, I'm just transitioning at the moment from the role of project engineer into business strategy analyst. She's uh, a recent uh, change of title. Um, I've worked for Pincroft for seven years now in various role in quality, production, technical, and now I'm more heading toward general management. Um, so the The new role is a natural transition to utilize the skills and knowledge I've gained uh, being exposed to the different areas of the business. Um, Day to day, I use my analytical skills to reduce value loss basically across um, the business and implement process driven improvements. So it's all about continuous improvement and uh, using data analysis to drive these, these process improvements.
1: And is that, when you say process improvements, is that a mechanical thing? Is that literally like the machinery or is that the, the logistics it, or it's probably a lot of things?
0: Yeah, it could be anything really, um, anywhere where we've got potential value loss basically or where we could um, engineer savings of energy or uh, savings of chemistry. So anywhere where we can collect data and analyze this data, identify um, waste and valueless, and try to remediate these problems. So and it's you, a it's quite a wide subject.
1: Yeah, yeah. You have to have it sounds like um, knowledge in many areas in order to yeah. um you know, and then I'm sure you draw upon other team members who have expertise in
0: yeah definitely you you. You need the experts. Um, I, I would describe myself as the jack of all trade, but master of none. And once once you've identified the issues, that's where you draw on the experts to help you find the solutions. It's not, it's not a, a person alone in an office, you know, and it's got to be an, an open-minded role.
1: Let's call it a jill of all trades, and I'm sure you're a master of several. So, uh, <laughs> we, you know, um, but you're delivering um, roles to Carrington, right? There, yeah. you're not um, okay. Um, you know, the thing that that many companies, uh, certainly during the pandemic and then post pandemic, it just went nuts with. Containers, you know, costing thirty thousand dollars U.S. just to move product around the planet that we used to, frankly, move basically for free. The costs were a negligible part of all of that, Um, and and you know, so so inventories have been really stressed. How has that affected your? analysis of purchasing decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, is there a best practice that you follow in how, how to think yeah. about inventory management?
0: Yeah. So we we hold quite a lot of stock, whether raw materials or finished good and well, we used to hold much more than what we do today. Um the the thing about Pencroft and Carrington is because we've been around for hundred More than 130 years now. So we have some long established strategic partnerships with our suppliers and our customers, as you can imagine. Um, However, with COVID 19 and the following years, you know, everything that we've been exposed to, we've required new ways of managing the supply chain. Um, We're using smarter approaches, I'd say, to manage our stock levels of raw materials or finish good and working towards a more just-in-time model, even though in the textile industry it's not, you know, because of the lead times, it's not, you can't really do a true just-in-time, but a bit more, you know, getting a bit more um, agile, I'd say, with it. And then we also have some, um, I've mentioned we have our strategic partners, but we also have some more tactical suppliers with whom we can trade when times are a bit less predictable, but mainly, mainly rely on our strategic suppliers and our long-term relationship and mutual commitments.
1: Are the weavers in Europe or are they in Asia? Are they all over the planet? Or The bulk of it comes from Pakistan. It's
0: only the very technical fabric lower volume that we could purchase some from the uk but the bulk of our um fabric comes from uh, from pakistan
1: and have finishes started to shift this one is just occurring to me because when we think about a finish um you know we it, the old school is that it's all about just the hand right how does it feel to mm-hmm. you know the hand that is touching the the textile yeah. but i'm i'm very curious to see how we're going to respond to barrier protection and other types of of needs uh in a post covid um you know more stressed world i mean are we seeing are you seeing any differences in uh requests for um, finishes based on uh, the pandemic.
0: Uh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, the pandemic and the, I get—I'd say the drive started before the pandemic because people now want more sustainable fabric So they don't just want a fabric that is loaded with chemicals. Then we don't know what's going to happen to these chemicals over time. Um. You also have to think about the wearer safety, you know, when they're wearing these chemicals next to skin. So it is it is changing and we we're looking at these. Um I mean, if you take CalProp sixty-five, for example, that has banned the use of PFAS, um, I think it is it New Jersey that is um heading towards um a similar ban. So we can't use um, fluorocarbons the way we used to um, and it's things that we're staying abreast with and um, trying to innovate um, regularly with um, last year we've invested in um, a spray applicator a, mm. a finishing spray applicator which um, allows us to use less chemistry Less energy because you put less chemistry on the fabric. And um
1: That's we, really um, interesting. That seems counterintuitive to me. It seems like, you know, um, I mean, I'm of the generation that was taught that the aerosol cans, right? The spray cans yeah. and spray paint <laughs> and you know, that all of that was bad and we were yeah. evil for it's you all know, in
0: for- a yeah, it's all in a controlled environment. So the particles don't float around, you know, like in the so the, the spray applicator is set up in the controlled environment, so the it can the particles can't just fly, you know, straight in the atmosphere. They do they go directly onto the fabric, and the 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 precision spray allows to penetrate the fabric deeper, and it allows us to put less chemistry, but achieving um the same results as if with padding application so for example if you take um, the mosquito repellent that is used in military applications um, we can reduce the cytotoxicity um, of the fabric and we can also do it on just one face of the fabric which means the, the skin doesn't have to be in contact with these chemicals so but we still are achieving the knockdown uh, requirements of of these um specifications so it's it's an exciting time
1: yeah that's actually really interesting to me also that what the spray would offer is the idea that unlike putting it in the fiber uh you can control you know the location of that yeah. finish far, far more specifically yeah. um you know and let's say you know for a pair of pants you might uh have uh, treatment heavier in you know um in the, uh, arbitrarily just saying the knees uh you know as mm-hmm. opposed to other locations that yeah. might not be as um prone to you know to brushing against things I mean are those actual real world kind of requests or
0: yeah they are yeah the the mosquito repellent is a concrete example because it is a requirement of Many MODs to reduce the ty- cytotoxicity, and we've achieved that by still um, achieving the the levels that they require of knockdown. So once once it's adopted,
1: under the same banner, is there any project management lessons that you have uh, from recent times that you know uh, as a result of um, you know how do you handle project management, Louise? <laughs>
0: I guess it depends on the project. So, like I said, because of my role, the projects can be very varied. It's, is it a project that was raised from a customer request or from a new technology that we've identified and that we want to uh, trial and potentially release? Um, so yeah depends on the project really yeah
1: it's too broad a question understood yeah. <laughs> so where do you uh uh well here's a really broad question for you is you know you there's some exciting things happening right now I mean is it even possible to make predictions on what might be happening over the next few years or the next 20 years or I mean is it smart textiles is it you know um dumb textiles is it um yeah you know, the, we- the
0: question with smart textiles again is so wide. I mean, where do mm-hmm. you go with smart textiles, and how do you use them? I think for uniforms in general, there's definitely gonna be a shift on circularity and um, how how do we recycle and these kind and life cycle assessment, these kind of things. Sustainability is a big demand on from the customers both in the fibers that we use and in our production processes. I mean, in the fibers, do we look at PET and recycling plastic bottles, or is it really more sustainable? Because we've heard of the whole problem on microplastics. Um, What about other types of fiber like hemp that might be doing a comeback? We have banana made fibers and Um, we've used coconut husk as well. Hmm. So what's out there (laughs) that we haven't tried to weave,
1: (laughs) right? Uh, that's such a good point that we, we haven't necessarily, we certainly haven't exhausted the, um, (laughs) the materials that we could potentially be weaving with. And certainly as our machinery gets more sophisticated, you know, can we, um, you know, can we adjust, uh, fiber, content even more and more. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear you talking about it from your side of it. I've had a lot of conversations the last few months about the post-consumer side of it, right? I'm I'm very excited about the idea that our industry knows where the garments are. So unlike fashion brands yeah. that try to think about, well, how could they avoid landfill? Um, they, the, our industry stands a very unique Uh, opportunity to take a lead role in helping end user customers with end of life, you know, garment uh, plans, because we know who's wearing the garment, how many they have, and where they are. So are you finding that um, customers are uh, a little bit more savvy these days, raising their hand and saying, let's talk about, you know, what, what's um, uh, Pincroft is, is, you know, um, putting in the original graige goods, yeah, um, in order to determine what the end of life of the garment looks like.
0: Yeah, yeah, they do definitely. Um, they even ask for us to partner on projects, you know, like um, recycling projects that they would have. So um, we we constantly developing new fabrics in partnership with our um, customers and ensuring that what goes in they know entirely what goes into the fabric and how they can manage at the end of life of um, their garment um, and you know sustainability is, is a good word but you know it's also about making sure the fabric lasts the lifetime of the garment you know it's not a fabric that you're only going to be able to use once twice and it doesn't fulfill it it's hand used you know but yeah we we definitely see a shift from our customers who really want to know what's gone into the fabric and how can they manage the end of life of the garment
1: I keep saying to people that my experience so far is that Europe's about 10, you know, a decade ahead of <laughs> North America when it comes to thinking um, about sustainability and recycling and all of that. And that is totally unfair to a number of members of our network yeah. who are doing a very good job with their ESG and very and, and trying very hard. But um, it's still... Um, I, I, I quite literally this week was on with waste management, right? A huge global player in the um, recycling and waste management space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they, their statistics still show that less than 1% of all the textiles globally are being re, uh, recycled in any way or upcycled yeah. um, yet. It is major double digits uh, part of what they collect um, constantly and every day and, um, but he further reports it's still early. We don't know what to do. Even if we could collect them all, uh, we yeah. don't know what to do with them yet is part yeah. of the problem.
0: We don't know what to do with them yet. And we we haven't also shown that the recycling, the, the recycled product is it really as good as the original. You know, mm. going back to the microplastic issue are we creating a bigger problem by trying to reuse these things that are not as good? I don't know. You know, it's, it's an open question.
1: Right. Those are the right questions. Yeah, we, yeah. Because right. you
0: don't want to replace it with something worse.
1: And it is it is going on people's bodies, you know, and we yeah. certainly in the uniform industry have seen examples in recent years of, you know, employees complaining and mm-hmm. saying this, this uniform is you know, hurting me in some way. Yeah. You know, I want to talk about dying for a minute though, because you, ab- <laughs> uh, you said something about, you know, um, repeatedly using the fabric. And one of the challenges, um, <laughs> so over the years, right, I've been in the uniform business almost, you know, 25, 30 years. And sometimes I'll get a call from somebody and they're like, oh, we just sold 500 blazers to a bank. How do we get more business like that? right? You know, uh, and they manufactured the 500 blazers for them. And I said, okay, well, that's great. I'm glad you had that sale. Um, but are you prepared to stock that blazer in that exact fabric in that exact color for the next five years? And it can't be a similar color. It has to be that exact color. So mm-hmm. I, I, now that I'm talking to you, how do we accomplish that? Because it's not like you're stocking millions. Well, maybe you are stocking millions of yards, but it's not yeah, like you're do. stocking an unlimited quantity of yeah. that color. So yeah. we have to, the, how does the machinery make the UPS brown or the FedEx purple that precise every time? What's the magic?
0: What's <laughs> the magic? <laughs> it's still relying a lot on the human factor. Cause you say, well, how does, the machine does it, but it it involves a lot of um, human intervention. So the way we do continuous dying, so we're talking about a machine that is a few hundred yards long, so we're not just going to die. Um, we don't do small batch dying. You know, um, um, MOQ is, is about um, 1,500 meters for a die lot um and so a lot goes into the dye recipe and then ensuring your incoming fabric is consistent as well because that could also affect your shade so ensuring that your incoming fabric is consistent your preparation process is consistent and then then you can start dyeing making sure your recipe meets the requirements and then once it's dyed, you do your quality control checks and then measure your, your delta E. And well, you, you might argue that it has to be exactly the same, but delta E, depending on the shade, you know, delta E 0.8, 1, you won't see the difference with the human eye. So it's just ensuring you stay within these limits and... Ensuring you've got the continuity for throughout your different batches.
1: Okay, uh, a fair point from an engineer that <laughs> you can never have a hundred percent cloning, right? That no. that it, that there's going to be something in the clone, you know that. Um, you just don't want it to turn into Jurassic Park where the clone is, you know... Yeah, uh...
0: you, you don't want to have one leg, you know, a certain purple and another leg. It's slightly different purple, but I can see the difference. There's a lot of things in place within the industry, like you would never make a garment from two different roles, for example. You you try to stick to one role, to one shade lot for... Um, and. So even if you've got a slight difference from one wall to the next, you wouldn't necessarily notice it from one person wearing wearing it to the other. But if it went into the same garment, you could see the difference.
1: Even at a point eight or a, a one or whatever that means, you well, would yeah. you might see it if it was in the same garment.
0: Yeah, you might you might see it. You depends. Yeah. It depends on the shade and right. which and. Not gonna go into colorimetry because this is not my forte, but <laughs> you know, depends on which direction the the, sh- the shade is moving. Is it the U? Is it the, you know?
1: And and you do a lot of prints as well. Is that yeah. uh, a big part of what what comes off of the line, if you will?
0: Yes, uh, we we've had we've been supplying um military fabrics and. We, we used to do um, a bit of um, furnishing printing as well, but now it's mostly military and a little bit of workwear as well. Um, print, um, we do um, rotary screen printing.
1: Like the different camos and things like that? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: A lot of interest at the moment in the military fabrics and a lot of innovations as well. So it's also an exciting times for military fabrics you know the uh, the holy grail is total invisibility. So looking at infrared reflecting uh, materials, um you know that hide the wearer from night vision cameras. Um, there's new pigment systems now that allow you to print more fabrics that um than ever before that can in higher aspects with inerrant fabrics, for example.
1: You're being asked to make invisibility cloaks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the military has evolved, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the French World War War uniforms that were sky blue and it, it was like an open target running on a field with
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: this kind of uniform. Now it's you wanna be sealed from the vegetation around. You want to be sealed from the infrared cameras you want to be sealed from the thermal cameras so it's also uh, something our R and and uh, npd teams are working on development around thermal cloaking and um, so as i said it, there's a lot to be to be done and i think the next month and years are gonna be exciting in uh, in the military field uh, in in the fabric
1: would you say that um the military requests are going to drive much innovation in our industry because of some examples of what you're talking about and likely others
0: yeah and they are investing at the moment you know more than probably the the work well yeah hospitality industry would at the moment so i think the the pool is going to come from from that sector definitely in our line of work
1: yeah i mean and that's that's certainly been a tradition that law enforcement will follow many examples of what the military um the military does so so that's that's very interesting um some of those um new i don't even know what you'd call it it's not a finish (laughs) it's not a die (laughs) right it's it's you know what would you call Uh, that technology or is it finishes?
0: Um, It's a combination. So we're trialing different ways of incorporating it. So some of it will come directly from the fabric, you know, from the fibers used um, in the fabric. Some of it will be incorporated in the printing uh, inks or dyes, call call them what you wish. And yeah, some of it will be with the finishing. So there's there's a lot. There's a lot out there. A lot to be proven.
1: I mean, those are interesting challenges you're working on. That's that's not trivial, uh, the ideas uh behind some of that that tech of uh you know visibility, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we're always thinking about well, what attracts people to this industry, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> Uh, and a lot of times it's that people want to work on interesting things and solve interesting problems. Yeah. So um, thinking about yourself, you know, back in school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, would this be an industry you'd recommend to a recent college graduate or um, a niece or a sister or a daughter or, a, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think of the textile industry, you know, as a broader you know broader group it's you could do anything you know you could you could be a cell t- a sales you could work on technical sales you could you could be a chemist you could be a color specialist you there's there's so much you know to be to be covered within the industry itself and then the applications when I first heard of textiles i didn't imagine that we'd use technical textiles to build an airplane or that there were textiles out there that could camouflage someone from an infrared camera or these kind of things you know that you don't suspect but and then you, you go to the geotextiles and this textiles everywhere <laughs> so what's not to be excited about?
1: I love that I actually I really love that there is a uh uh Elka uh is a college professor at Howard University here in the mm-hmm. states and she does an exercise with her textile students where she says tell me an aspect of everyday life that textiles does not affect.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And the students try to challenge her and say something, you know, that uh and So she has she
0: found has... something yet?
1: No, no, of course there's ways of <laughs> of you know of offering yeah. up how textiles are you know, just so integral to mm. uh to our to our lives. So I so I love that answer. That you know that it's not just one thing. There's so many aspects to what your your what Pincroft does and what yeah. textile industry in general does. And um you know it's meaningful because we're really affecting you know what every single person wears yeah. every day. Well, it was such a pleasure uh, to yeah. talk with you today, and um, <laughs> thanks for taking the time.
0: Well, thank you for having me.